Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. The Borg are an amalgam of cybernetically enhanced humanoid drones of multiple species. Organized as an interconnected collective with a hive mind inhabiting a vast region of space. They operate towards one single-minded purpose. To add the biological and technological distinctiveness of other species to their own in the pursuit of perfection. They are the adversary of autonomy. The definition of slavery. They are the juggernauts of an infinite number of quadrants and parallel dimensions, including the mirror universe. The mirror universe has never been so treacherous. Welcome to The Ready Room, the Treks and Sci-Fi Microcast. I'm Kenny, and I play Nathan Quinn, the captain of the USS Arabella. And as you can hear, I am solo. With the holidays fast approaching, Rick and Jen and I's schedules just weren't able to come together, so we decided, instead of doing our regular podcast, we would just do post-greetings from the past week. We'll probably do the same thing next week, as it will be Christmas week, so we wanted to keep everyone up to date on what's going on with the story so far, so we decided just to do that, just to get the podcast out there and keep everyone up to date, and then in January, we will sit down and do a regular podcast again, and we'll discuss the past few weeks' worth of posts. So sit back and enjoy this week's readings for the story so far. We're the Borg. Life as you know it is over. You have entered our RPG space. You will adapt to the story so far. For our first greeting this week, it's a post done by Hawkeye Meds, and it'll be read by Hawkeye Meds. The figure on the deck under the bridge danced with an imaginary partner to the sounds of phaser fire on the bridge above. Drifting from side to side, he whispered in the imaginary ear, Ah, you dance beautifully. Do you come here often? No? Oh, that's a shame. Well, here the parties upstairs just blow the roof off. <laughs> Dancing around the corridors, dropping every now and again to let his invisible partner take the lead, he stopped at a control panel. Oh, hello, computer. Sit self-destruct sequence 01-0105-14. The computer replied as the man danced from toe to toe. Command sequence can only be operated by command. Dancing a quick step to his left and then finishing with a delicate waltz, he lifted his hand and let the imaginary partner drift to her seat. Thank you, ma'am. I need to teach you sing a dance or two. Computer, I am Sir Joseph de Callan and I am higher than command. I am higher than Emperor. In fact, I am higher than the gods in the universe. As he twirled round and left himself in an arabesque position, the computer responded. This request can only be activated by Admiral Talbot. 
Mr. Carlin held his hands aloft, with his leg outstretched, and sang out to an old theatrical tune. That must mean that Talbot is here. Jumping up, he bowed to the computer, and put his finger into his open eye socket. He cleared some seeping fluid and tasted it. Mmm, nutmeg. He drifted off back to where he had been hiding, and decided to see what the party was like on the bridge. He held his hand up, as if holding a tray of drinks, and began offering the imaginary party guests glasses as he headed to the turbolift door. It opened, and he stood in. Going up, and away. Next up is a post done by Wraith1701, and it will be read by Moyer777. Aboard the bridge of the Negvar, Karak silently watched the static-hazed feed from the Kamikaze ship's bridge monitor. A Klingon warrior stood over the dead Terran called Kitan, his hands wrapped around the handle of an old, battered batleth. With a mighty tug, he yanked the blade weapon from the Terran's back, then turned to face the viewscreen. As the warrior opened his mouth to speak, the image filled with static then winked out to be replaced by an external view of Arya's flagship and the kamikaze vessel speeding towards it. As Worf, Karak, and Kalara looked on in stunned silence, the kamikaze altered course, passing with a fraction of a kelecam of Arya's vessel, and then plunged towards the outer atmosphere of the planet Terras. As the horrifying reality of the situation sunk in, Karak felt his heart stop in his chest. Once the device activated, a chain reaction would release a wave of Thaleron radiation that would wash over the entire planet. All organic matter on the world would be ruthlessly consumed, converted into inert ash-like substance. The once verdant world would be reduced to a lifeless ash-covered rock. And with the entire planet's biomass fueling it, there was no way of knowing how far outward the scouring wave of death would expand the entire system could be at risk. Karak's head snapped around to address the communications officer. Broadcast the entire Alliance fleet. Reverse course and evacuate the system. Maximum war! As the officer carried out his command, the Admiral closed his eyes and wearily lowered his head. Karak contemplated the engine of destruction that the Alliance had created and the effect it would soon have on the primitive natives of the planet below. A hoarse, choked sob shook his chest. Oh, Kalis, forgive us. What have we done? Here we have a post from Rico, also read by Rico. As the blue-skinned man climbed the last few rungs of the access ladder, he found his mind drifting back to only a short time ago. The pretty blonde woman's face appeared in his thoughts, and he couldn't help but smile as he reached for his phaser. Marie, have you heard what's going on? The ship has an all-out mutiny on its hands. I, I mean, I, I wanted Talbot out of the way, but not like this, the Andorian officer said as he turned to the woman he loved. Yeah, I'm very much aware. I barely got out of engineering. DeCallan and Reese have worked up the crew into a frenzy, turned them all into a bunch of alien haters, Marie Barton said as she moved closer to Zrem. Well, you know what will be next on that witch hunt? Marie, are, are you okay? You look tired. Is something wrong? Zrem said as he pulled Marie close to him. I didn't want this to be the time to tell you, but I'm pregnant. You're going to be someone's father. The young woman told Zrem as she hugged him tight. What? By the stars, I, I 
I didn't think that could happen between us. That changes everything, Zerem said as he quickly pulled away, his mind racing as he grabbed the phaser off the desk near them. Chifras, where, where are you going to? Where are you going? Marie said in a panic. I'm not letting this ship turn into some madman's anti-alien playground. Our child will be half Andorian, and I'll die before I'll let someone hurt them or you for being with me. Even if it means saving that pointy-eared admiral's ass, Srem said as he tucked his phaser onto his belt and quickly kissed a stunned Marie goodbye. Get your mind in the game, Srem. The lanky Andorian muttered to himself as he reached the emergency access hatch to the bridge. After unlocking the hatch, Zrem pushed it open with one hand and quickly climbed through. Blasts of phaser fire from across the bridge caught his eye as he looked over the scene. He saw a group taking cover in the turbo lift as they jumped out and tried to hit the bridge crew. A few crewmen were down, but Zrem saw Talbot down behind his command chair along with the ops officer. Everyone seemed to be too busy to notice Zrem quickly slip onto the bridge. In one quick motion, Zrem shot off a couple of phaser bursts towards the turbo lift as he did a quick roll coming up behind Talbot. Nice of you to join the party, Mr. Zrem, but I have to say I'm a bit surprised to see you on this side of the bridge, Talbot said as he shot off a quick burst from his own phaser and gave the Andorian a wry grin. I don't like you, Talbot. I probably never will, but this isn't the answer, Zrem said as he took up a position to the right of Talbot and shot his own weapon toward the lift. I'm thinking Marie had something to do with your change of heart. And, and maybe the baby? Talbert said as, as Zrem gave him a stunned look. You knew? How? Zrem said quietly. Well, I didn't know for certain, but I suspected. Being half Romulan does have its advantages. If we get out of the Zrem, I won't stand in the way. I know she's in love with you. Just took a while for an old soldier to admit it to myself. But let's talk later. Right now we have a little mutiny to deal with. Talbot said as he yelled out and snapped off several more bursts from his weapon, one of them catching the arm of one of the mutineers in the turbo lift. Zrem just smiled as he moved to cover the Admiral with his own weapon and found a newfound respect for his commander. Next post is from Jess X and it'll be read by Billy Bob. The spiraling particles of the cooperative transporters materialized the wayward captain and his injured companion. It had taken a wide-beam transport to breach the distortion field generated by the planet. Cooperative drones moved quickly to the side of the two as their queen made her quiet approach. Captain Quinn cradled the near-still form of the woman that shared the name and appearance of one of his most valued friends. Green blood oozed from the terrible wound of the Vulcan that she had offered perfection. Perfection that Savril rejected. It was a fatal wound to even Empire technology, but it was easily within the ability of the cooperative to repair. As her children moved to attend the dying woman, a thought from their queen halted them. She had rejected the gifts that Arya would have showered her with. She had rejected the cooperative and those that would have protected her. By her own actions, Savril had even rejected the help that was in Arya's power to grant. She is dying, Arya said softly to Quinn, who wore the pain of the pending loss on his face. Her satin, smooth voice purred in his ear as she touched his shoulder softly. Nathan, we need to tend to your infection. There is nothing that you can do to save her. You 
must be cured before we can return you home. Gold-hued injection tubules slithered snake-like from Arya's delicate wrist while she comforted the grieving man. Without waiting for permission, they struck into the soft, yielding flesh of Nathan's neck and intimately linked the two. She gave from herself to cure him even as she took part of him into her. Ecstatic sensations flowed between them as they both traveled on a current produced by the pleasure and passions of an entire race. Arya felt his power, and it was intoxicating, but with another thought, she could pull him in, body and soul, into the web of the unity that was the cooperative, but she did not allow that thought. She could not take him. He was not for her. She had promised to return him home, but she could not, she would not allow herself to lose him entirely. In an endless moment of pleasure-fueled passion, Arya's power and adaptation purged the captain of his infection. Billions of her nanoprobes raced through his body and destroyed the invaders to it before returning back to her. Arya smiled softly to him when all of her machines returned and carried with them a part of him. Her tender voice whispered softly in his ear, allowing the heat of her breath to dance over the flesh of his cheek and neck. My attendants will make sure her final moments are peaceful. She refuses our aid, but we will not allow her to suffer. It is the least we can do. That's not good enough, Quinn said. In your mind, I've seen what your people are capable of. Are you going to let her die simply because of spite? Show me that they are wrong about you. Help her. She, of her own free will, rejected us. She does not want our help, Nathan. Arya continued to whisper against him. I do not do this lightly, but for you, I will stabilize her and bring her with us. That is the most I can do for her and you. Nathan nodded slowly. It wasn't exactly what he wanted, but it was better than nothing. If she came back with him, he trusted that his people would be able to help her. Arya smiled to her guest as she touched her hand to the phaser-charred wound that marred the perfect Vulcan skin. The soft blue radiance of the queen's bioneural energy pulsed between her hand, the injured flesh, and seeped into Savril's shallowly breathing body. Arya would not heal her completely, but she would give her the strength to survive until Quinn's people could attend to her. She would heal her to the point where she would be within the means of Federation technology to survive. As the light faded between them, Arya rose and offered a small smile to the captain. Arya nodded to Spring as she materialized beside her. My attendant is here. We are leaving now. With a thought, most of her fleet evacuated to safety with the planetary inhabitants they had managed to save from the cascading energy wave. The advanced metaphasic shielding of her own ship would protect it from the Alliance Doomsday Weapon as she attended to other matters. The planet might be reduced to ashes but some of them would survive with the cooperative, and the Alliance would have to pay for their transgressions against the cooperative world. With another thought, her mind took direct control of the transporter systems. From Nathan's earlier contact, she had managed to learn the layout of the vessel and the location of its medical bay. Arya opened her mind to the power of the cooperative and its links to her. That power, added to her nascent legacy, allowed her to simply move them from her ship the one that Nathan was intimately familiar with. Technology aided what genetics had given her, and the Queen of the Cooperative, for a brief moment, 
pulled those two points in the multiverse together. In a flash of golden light, the four moved from one reality to the next. Next up is a joint post from Hawkeye Meds and Jin, and it will be read by Hawkeye Meds. Act 3 The hallucinations brought on by stress and fatigue prompted the chief medical officer to insist that Nurse Kane find an available space on a sick bay floor and take a nap. Susan didn't believe she would be capable of sleeping, but sleep came quickly to the exhausted head nurse, and she awoke an hour later to the buzzing of her fellow staff members as they worked around her. She felt incredibly groggy, and it took a few seconds for her to realise where she was. It came slowly to Susan as she turned towards Dr. Drett's office. The feelings of loss began to grip her heart once more, at the thought of a friend lying dead behind the door. The nurse pushed herself up and slowly stood. The deck had forced a kink in her back, and she groaned as she stretched her stiff muscles. Hair spilled gently over her shoulders as she bent at her waist, first to the left and then to the right. As Susan slowly straightened, she noticed some of her colleagues watching her as they worked. They were worried that she was suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome, and she knew they were probably right. Susan attempted to smile for the nurses and the medtechs. They returned it, yet their expressions looked just as forced as her own. It faded with the thought of Joseph. She hadn't seen him since he discharged himself at the beginning of the attack. She drew a deep breath before moving to aid a patient, who had just arrived. It felt good to help someone else. Concentrating on their pain somehow dulled her own. Soon after she pressed a hypo spray into her patient, a whirring sound began to resonate in the centre of sickbay, where the faint features of three individuals flashed before them. As Quinn, Seville and Aria materialised in main sickbay, they could hear the doctors and nurses moving about them frantically, working to save lives. Nathan was unsure of the Arabella's present circumstances, but it was obvious the situation was grim. With the wounded Vulcan still in his arms, the captain shouted a fretful inquiry above the din. Where's Dr. Peterson? The haggard Betazoid physician heard the voice of the captain and turned in surprise to see Captain Quinn shuffling past him. His heart leapt in his chest, for Nathan had been missing for over twelve hours, and his sudden emergence was unexpected to say the least. Casey dropped what he was doing and rushed towards him. Captain! Doctor, this woman needs immediate attention. Peterson was astonished to discover that the injured woman Nathan referred to was Seville. A baffled expression washed over his face, but he quickly recovered and called for the nearest table to be cleared for the new patient. Casey, this is not the commander, uttered Quinn in a whisper. Dr. Peterson looked up from his tricorder. Well, that would explain the twins she's carrying. He removed the insignia from his lab coat and tossed the cum badge to Quinn before, before preparing a hypo and pressing it to the woman's neck. It's good to have you back, Captain, but you should probably let Commander Seville know that you are here. Thank you, Casey. It's good to be back. What has happened here? He asked as he gazed about sick bay. The first officer's mirror's counterpart moaned as Casey carefully pulled the burned fabric from the wound on her chest. Dr. Peterson shook his head when he saw the extent of the damage and looked up at Quinn. The Borg attacked right after you disappeared. We've managed to get them off the ship, but now we're dealing with infected crewmen. Then the Borg are no longer a threat, inquired Nathan. Oh, that's still a problem. 
But what little I know, they'll take a defensive position near a spatial anomaly we have just recently detected. The captain glanced to the stone-faced cooperative queen as he fixed the comm badge to his chest. A melodic chime followed as the device responded to his touch. Captain Quinn to Captain Andes of Will. A rear left Nathan side to wade curiously about the floor of the medical bay. As she sauntered nonchalantly through the withering patients, she lies through the subconsciousness thoughts of the crew in search of her mother and father. They were very close. She could feel them. But it had been so long since she had heard their voices and she was having trouble locating them in the chaos of the Avabella. Aria soon stepped into a void of thoughts and found herself in the doorway of a makeshift morgue. Her eyes scanned the area. Apart from the lifeless forms that filled the former office, the room was vacant. There is unity even in silence, whispered the Queen. Aria passed at the table nearest the door and gazed down at the blue covering that veiled a female form. The vulcanoid inquisitively lifted the corner of the sheet and gazed down at the face of a trilled female. Curious, Aria casually moved her fingertips over the young woman's cold, ashen face before pressing them to her temples. There was no activity, but remnants of information and memories could still be obtained. The woman was once a doctor, and by the chaos Aria witnessed about her, she knew the staff required her aid. The body convulsed at the cooperative queen's touch, then relaxed, as Aria's attention was drawn away by a distinctive presence in the next room. She dropped the sheet and turned to see a blue-haired, golden-eyed alien enter sickbay. Commander Seville, still clad in her terrific guise, had stepped into the bustling atmosphere of the medical ward. The Borg's attack had mysteriously stopped, and the Overbala was taking an opportunity to make more repairs to their weapon system. Aside from repairs, their highest priority was a nanite infection that had rapidly spread among the Avabella's crew. Lieutenant Commander James was left in command of the bridge, and she had come to offer her help. As Chief Science Officer to the medical staff, Seville's amber eyes scanned the room in search of Dr. Peterson, before coming to rest on a familiar face. Her brows rose in disbelief as Nathan Quinn pitched his gaze toward her. We have another joint post from Jen and Just X, and it will be read by Jen. Arya Siren James, Queen of the Cooperative, stood motionlessly as the all-too-familiar woman entered the room. A lifetime of longing washed over her as she hesitantly moved closer. For all the power that she had, for all of the worlds she had conquered in the name of peace, she had never gotten over losing her parents. It was the wound that hurt her the most. Mother? She questioned, the rawness of her emotions tinting her words. Do you recognize me? The queen cautiously drew closer to the odd-appearing woman. While Savril's visage was something that Arya had not expected, the presence of the woman made Arya feel as though she had come home. The Arabella's executive officer lifted a blue, terracic brow at Arya's peculiar inquiry. Savril had a thousand questions of her own for Captain Quinn, but she hadn't seen Arya since the battle began, and the tone of the young woman's quarry concerned her. Of course. Are you well, daughter? Commander Savril glanced to Quinn, who had cleared his throat. <clears> throat> this is not Ensign James. 
He turned his head from the cooperative queen to the first officer as he attempted to frame the information he would divulge next. He noted the way Arya searched her mother's alien eyes for a hint of remembrance. The confidence the young woman exuded in the rift had waned slightly, and he sensed a desperate need for her mother's recognition. This was somewhat troubling to him. He would be briefed on the ship's status soon enough. Right now, he needed to explain where he'd been and mediate this potentially volatile first introduction of the cooperative queen. He gestured to Dr. Peterson's office and the three stepped within the privacy of four transparent walls. Nathan nodded in thanks to the CMO as Casey worked the floor. He perched himself on the edge of Peterson's desk. Arya came with me through the rift. That's where I've been. A parallel universe ravaged by the Borg and split by various warring factions. Many of us have doubles there, one of which I brought back with me. A Vulcan who shares your name and appearance. He pointed towards Dr. Peterson, who was working just beyond the office door. The physician's back was to them and momentarily blocked their view of his patient. Nurse Kane approached Casey, and he turned to accept a pad from her, revealing the woman lying motionlessly before him. Commander Savril lifted both brows as she stared in wonder. If she hadn't currently worn the alterations from her recent away mission, she would have described the doctor's newest patient as a reflection. Nathan pushed himself off the desk and stepped towards Savril. The commander thought he looked fatigued, and she detected a note of sadness in his tone. I know it's a lot to take in, but there's more. He paused a moment before inclining his head towards the cooperative queen. This woman is your biological daughter, not the binary clone you know as Arya. Here's another post from Jen and Just X, and it'll be read by Jen. Savril was puzzled by the revelation, for Eric had told her that Arya was erased by a shift in the timeline. Numerous temporal deviations had altered her personal history. In one such experience, Arya was conceived and raised by Savril and Eric James. When time shifted again, Savril made unique, life-altering decisions, and those choices ultimately expunged her eldest daughter. How did their daughter end up in the alternate universe? It was confusing, even to Savril's scientific mind. She examined the young woman's face and saw in her eyes the misery that Nathan noticed. Arya sensed her mother's question and took a slow breath. Father was born in the Nexus. That singular event allowed only one of him to be born in all the multiverse. As his daughter, I am also unique. My recessive nascent genes allowed me to survive the temporal anomaly by shifting me to another reality. She paused a moment, her jaw working as she formed the next sentence. I hear father created a duplicate of me. Should I call her a twin or a mistake? Arya did not wait for an answer. She moved closer to her mother. Savril took a step back. The young woman paused a moment before her emotive tone coded the next sentence. It's good to see you again. I've missed my family terribly. Then, without a warning, the smile faded. However, I did not expect to be replaced. Commander Savril was unsure of how to respond to the statement steeped in acidity. She observed the quivering lip and narrowed dark eyes. Separation from family had obviously negatively affected her. Savril replied cautiously, Arya is not a mistake, but the result of your father's hope to regain a small portion of the daughter who was lost to us. I do not recall having any other children, but I have come to know you through the clone, and I have learned to call her daughter as well. Be at peace, 
I welcome you home, Arya. The elder Vulcan raised her hand and parted her fingers in the traditional Vulcan greeting. Arya smiled. I too have worked hard in rebuilding the family I lost. She turned her eyes to her own abdomen and rested her hand upon it, then nodded softly before returning Savril's greeting. Thank you, mother. But my stay here will not be long. My people need me, and I would be a poor queen if I abandoned them. Yet I am gratified to know that you and father are alive. You mentioned other children. How many siblings do I have in this reality? With another quirk of an eyebrow, the commander noted Arya's reference to herself as queen, but did not ask the woman to expound. Instead, she replied with a minute hint of pride. You have a four-year-old brother and a sister. Your father has adopted a daughter, a child of the timeline you disappeared from. You may know her as your great-aunt, Elizabeth. As far as Savril knew, the children were in Dennis's care. The hologram program to protect them had sent the commander a false report in order to prevent their mother from being distracted from her duties as acting captain. Dennis intended to notify Savril that her son had been taken by Borg intruders, but the proper moment for that revelation had yet to present itself. The hologram felt the weight of his failure and feared not only for Naval's welfare, but for that of his mother's as well. Immediately following his forced retreat into the ship's computer, the Sentinel dispatched the Arabella's only other hologram to collect the surviving children. Several hours had passed since then, and Marin was safely in Rory's care. But the commander would have to be told the truth soon. The truce with the Borg was only temporary, and Dennis was concerned that Savril would destroy the sphere, and with it, her only son. Next up, a post from Just X, and it'll be read by Billy Bob. Small beads of sweat glistened off the brow of Commander James as he sat in the captain's chair of the Arabella. His head throbbed from the constant use of his ability in an attempt to slow the progress of the Borg infection. He was impressed at the talents of the crew and how well they worked to save the ship, but he had no intention of letting the ship that he had helped create fall on her first mission. Status of the nanotech repair system? Eric asked Rory via the open communications channel. It had been Rory's job to reprogram the Aurora's nano repair systems with the Arabella's schematics and increase the quantity. She had even managed to succeed in that task to some degree. The Arabella was designed to one day be upgraded with the technology but the ship's computers were not programmed with the ability to control and direct the machines. She would have to direct the operations from the Aurora's computers, and then it would only be of limited use. They would be able to combat the Borg infections of the ship, but they would not be able to make any repairs. We should be able to flush the ship of Borg infection within the next hour, Rory replied without pausing in her work. We have reached 30% of the necessary yield to begin the process. Thank you, Rory. Eric paused in mid-sentence as he felt a brief shimmer in reality. Nothing that he could sense had changed. It could only mean that something had recently arrived from outside of it. Taking a deep breath, Eric returned his focus to the problem at hand. Thank you, Rory. Notify me when you are ready to proceed. Now we have a post from Jen, and it'll be read by Jen. Her first breath arrived as a painful wheeze drawn through chattering teeth. Her second came as a sharp gasp, followed by a violent cough. She opened her eyes, and her pupils were instantly stabbed with fingers of light. 
The woman blinked as tears of pain spilled over her cheeks. Her muscles were stiff, and they complained as she awkwardly pulled at the thin sheet that covered her body. She lay there, trembling in silence, for a protracted moment while each of her senses gradually returned. Before long, a feeling of deep despair assailed her with a sudden awareness. She was alone. Ryla's mouth fell open as a silent sob escaped her lungs. She was no longer joined. Dret was gone. The sorrow was unlike anything she had ever felt. The tears that had formed at the advent of her coughing now flowed from an overwhelming grief. With the sheet still wrapped about her, the trill rose from the morgue table and moved her unsteady feet to the floor. She took an uncertain step and dropped as her legs failed under her weight. The force of Ryla's fall overturned a table before she collided with the floor. The cold, unyielding deck offered no compassion as the trill pulled herself into a fetal position and hoarsely wept. Our next post is written by Jen and will be read by Star Trek Fanatic 5. A sudden crash stole Susan's attention from the patient she tended. The sound seemed to have come from the inside of the makeshift morgue. Nurse Kane hesitated a moment, fearful that her hallucinations had returned. She flicked her gaze to Nurse Tobin and received an unspoken message of reassurance. But the muffled sobs that followed the initial sound prompted Susan to leave her patient and investigate. Sickbay soon echoed with Kane's shout for help. Tessa Tobin was the first to answer the call and stepped through the door in time to see Susan Kane kneeling beside a frightened and confused Ryla Drett. How is this possible? She was dead. Peterson even did an autopsy, shouted Tobin. Ryla's sob became more frenzied. Susan fired a glare at Tessa that told her she had said too much. Without a word, she turned her attention back to the trail. Shh. Shh. Kane pulled a sheet around the young doctor and glanced back at Tobin. Find her something to wear. We need to get her out of here. She wearily glanced to the other bodies lining the walls and wondered if anyone else would be rejoining the living. What she didn't know was that the cooperative queen had resurrected Ryla, and only Ryla. The vast number of genetic characteristics that Arya assimilated and blended with her own included the alternate genes of a race called the Kobali a species from the Delta Quadrant who possessed the ability to reanimate the dead. Ryla was alive, but Dret had been utterly destroyed by the blast to the Trill's midsection, and remnants of the symbiont, who had been a part of her life for ten years, had been removed during the autopsy. Now here's a post by Hawkeye Meds, also read by Hawkeye Meds. Taking a surgical gown from Tobin, she placed it over the shivering patient. Lifting her up, Susan was surprised at how light Ryla was. Walking out of the makeshift morgue, Ryla buried her head into Susan's shoulder, and her sobs muffled into her uniform. Dr. Peterson looked up from his patient. Details, Susan. Susan gently walked up to the doctor and showed the face of Ryla. Her breathing's gentle but slow. Pulse is 61 BPM. It's too crowded here, doctor. I don't think people should see Ryla like this. Peterson lifted a hypo spray off the table and gave Ryla a shot in her neck. The busy CMO ignored the feelings of shock and remained completely professional. Take her to your quarters. Let her rest and monitor her condition. Come back when you can, but if in doubt, 
do not leave her. Leaving Sigabay, she quickened her pace as several of the crewmen took quick glances, but no one saw that it was the once-dead brave doctor huddled in the nurse's arms. Once inside the turbo lift, she had time to wipe the tear-soaked wet hair from her pale face. Wyla's eyes glanced up at the smiling face, and a small movement etched from the corners of her mouth. The door swooshed open, and Dukarlan ran in. Ah, oh, good day, Sue. You're taking your work home, are you? Susan dipped her arm so Joseph could see who she was carrying. He looked at her face and then back at Susan. Well, ha- how? Why? Susan shook her head. I don't know. I'm taking her to my quarters. She'll be safe there. Till all this dies down a bit. The Carlin placed his favour into his holster and put a reassuring hand on Susan's shoulder and gave her a wink. The lift door opened again and he disappeared into the steam. The door closed and Susan felt an air of warmth breeze over her at the thought of the security chief's touch. It wasn't long before she reached her quarters and had Ryder tucked up into her bed. The hypo spray had done its job and she slept peacefully. Walking to the replicator, she ordered a hot chocolate before taking a seat next to her friend. Here's a post from Just X, read by Moyer777. Confusion raced through the thoughts of Ensign James as she made her way towards sickbay. Her entire world spun with each measured step. She had no problems feeling the mental invitation sent to her, and it shocked her to the core. Every decision that she had made, without warning, been put into question. She was only five decks from coming face to face with a past that she had never expected to encounter. Somehow, her original body had survived temporal dissolution, and now she had come home. Her very identity had come into question on the eve of one of the Arabella's most trying battle. Sickbay, the young woman, still in her alien disguise, said when she boarded the turbo lift. Let's see just exactly what I've been up to during these missing years. Arya had no doubts on her own life. She knew who she was. She was the daughter of two Federation officers and the member of the Arabella crew. She was a binary clone, but she also knew what that meant. The form she wore was a combination of the genes of her mother and father. In that respect, she was no different from any naturally conceived child. In fact, the only difference was that almost every single one of the gene pairs that her parents contributed to her were chosen to return her to original form. Almost every gene. Her new form did not have the recessive gene that granted her father's temporal abilities. She possessed the fully active gene and the immunity to temporal changes that the gene allowed. She was unique. She was an improvement over her previous form, and she knew it. Binary clone. She knew what the words meant more than anyone. It was a polite way of saying gene-engineered perfection. Every child born to two parents were by definition a binary clone of their parents. She wore the distinction because her circumstances had not offered the luxury of being carried to term and birthed by her mother. She felt the probing thoughts of her other self as the turbo lift grew closer. The very presence of this other might have caused doubts in others, but she was a James. She was the flesh and blood daughter of Eric James and Severil the Vulcan. She had not been born in some non-existent timeline. Her parents knew her and remembered her birth. There was simply nothing that this other self could say that would put her identity to question. At least she hoped there wasn't. 
Arya wore her bravery as a mask, and inside she fought to hold on to everything that made her unique. She could not afford to dwell on the reactions of her parents to this intruder into their lives. She could not afford herself to think that she was just a copy. Next up, a post from Jen, also read by Jen. The tangled threads of incoherent whispers echoed within the abyss. Though she resisted, the voices drew her forth like cold water from a deep well. Ryla struggled against them until the clear command of a solitary voice beckoned her to cooperate. Its power forced her to accommodate the voice, but the fear she felt did not diminish. Ryla had been at peace within the Gulf of Souls, and the sudden invasion ripped her from that welcomed serenity, stealing her like fruit from another's field. From the bedside, Nurse Kane watched her friend toss and turn as the nightmares continued to beset the young Trill. And for our final post, it's a joint post with Jen and Just X, and read by Jen. Eric James stood speechless within the observation lounge as he looked across the table towards Savril and two versions of his daughter. One, the younger-looking of the two, had been reborn through a scientific miracle and was still in the native guise of their last mission. The other was the physical age of a child that he had assumed he had lost. He could sense that both were filled with biotech enhancements. One possessed recent designs, and the other a blend of his early designs and Borg augmentations. Hello, Father, the elder of the young women said softly. She rose slowly with the grace of a queen and the anxiety of an abandoned child. It's been a long time. I thought you were gone. Eric nodded and moved to close the distance between the two. The shock on his face transformed into an elated smile as he pulled her into a tight embrace. I thought the same. I can't begin to understand how this has happened. How have you been? Trying to make a difference. Trying to make you proud, she said as she pulled free of the hug to look into his eyes. She then glanced to the younger version that shared her name and memories. But I see you've forgotten me and created a substitute. Eric shook his head and looked down at the still quiet clone. No, you were not replaced. He smiled to his still-seated daughter and offered a hand to her. You've not been forgotten either. You're both my daughters. The clone smiled and placed her hand in her father's, squeezing it softly. Her heart pounded in her chest. She was her own person. She didn't believe she was some poor copy of the original that stood before her. I would be lying if I said this wasn't confusing. The queen of the cooperative nodded slowly and pulled free of her father. Call me Siren. I've always preferred my middle name. Siren's eyes moved over those gathered in the room. She had never expected a reunion with her parents. Even in her wildest fantasies, she'd never expected there to be two in that meeting. She could only look at her mother and wonder what her opinion was of the situation. Savril's impassive facade softened as she gazed back at the cooperative queen. Because of the temporal shift, I am no longer the woman that raised you. I am essentially a version of the mother you once knew. What happened could not be avoided, yet it is possible for us to move forward from this point. She pushed a lock of hair behind her ear before continuing. I have known you both for only a brief period, and the circumstances that brought you into my life are a mystery even still. 
She glanced to Arya and then Siren. But I see in you elements of myself. How could I deny what is so clearly a part of me? It is impossible. Eric smiled. We have a lot to catch up on. Yes, agreed Savril. But the captain is waiting. The first officer stood and gestured to the door. Siren, perhaps you should join us in our briefing. Much of our meeting will concern the spatial anomaly. We are the Borg. Resistance is futile. Plug into your alcove as we communicate our final thoughts. For our final thoughts, I just have a few things. First, I want to thank everyone who participated in reading this week. Jen, Rick, and I couldn't do this ready room without you guys. We really appreciate it. Uh, I want to thank all the writers for doing a great job in uh, Season 8. It's just been a roller coaster ride. It's been fantastic. And I look forward to seeing how this all ends. And one other thing. On January 28th, 2009, the ready room will be one year old. So we want to celebrate by having a Skype call. So we are asking all RPGers, also fans of the RPG, to participate in the Skype call. Uh, we will have contests, we will have awards handed out, you know, for most improved, uh, best post, best storyline, you know, stuff like that. Um, and we want everyone to participate. So if, uh, there, if you aren't a member of the forums, you should become a member so you can actually go to the out of character section and see the thread talking about this if you are a member of the forums then please go there and vote on a day and uh let me know when it would work best for you guys right now it looks like january saturday january 24th is leading the pack um as the day we're gonna do it so if you want to participate uh stop on by let me know so i can add you to my list of skype names so I think that is going to do it for this week's Ready Room. So this is Kenny. Hailing frequencies closed. All music on this podcast was performed by Rick Moyer or his royalty-free music. Also, I would like to thank Metrano 7 for the introduction music. <laughs>